So just be aware of these sensations of the breath, wherever you feel them most vividly. And, and I might suggest that you follow the breath like a hammock, you know, just swinging back and forth. The air is clean and clear. Most importantly, it's real. The breath is real and here now. You know, if we were able to strip away all the layers of our experience, all the conditioning, all the memories, all the things our teachers told us, our best dreams, our car wrecks, we'd be left with this moment, this breath. So that's where we begin again and again. Inhaling, we take in the fact that there is life to receive. Exhaling, we remember that we have something to give. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, you have been given to. We all have something to give. We all have breath. There are no old breaths, just this one. Well, very simply, allowing the breath to breathe us. Receiving and giving one thing. Breathing in. Receiving, breathing out. Giving.
Breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. And breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. Inhaling, we take in the fact that there's life to receive. Exhaling, we remember we have something to give. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you have been given to, and you have things to give.
So I believe we have uh, maybe a few announcements before we start. Yes, Frank. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. Again, um, for those who I've met, um, I think a lot of you actually. Uh, I'm Miru, one of the board members. I welcome you all to the very first SID Sunday talk of SFI of 20, 2022. Again, I have a one announcement. Uh, I have uh, one thing to talk about, share about Dana, and also a couple of announcements. So 2022 is a very special year for SFI because it's the year uh, that we welcome the 30th anniversary of SFI too. Uh, San Francisco Insights began in 1992 as a group of eight to 12 practitioners meeting weekly to meditate in the living room of one of the original members. So it was a very small sangha and look at us now after 30 years, we're still meeting and then now we're meeting more often too. And just to give you perspective, what has happened in 1992, it was the end of the Cold War. So President Bush and then Yeltsin of Russia, they proclaim a formal end up to the end the end to the Cold War. And there were about 900 million TV sets in the world. Now there are about 6 billion smartphones in the world. That's quite an advancement that we made. And also um, there was, it was a year when there was a, um, uh, four officers acquitted in Los Angeles beating Rodney King. So if you remember that event, um, that tragic event uh, that created a lot of stir and riots in LA. And US Supreme Court reaffirms right to abortion in 1992. And there was the very first uh, environmental summit by all the governments in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. The reason I'm sharing this is that over this course of 30 years that um, there are a lot of things happen. Some are good and some are bad and some suffering still continue to such as environment. And I think, I believe what makes humans sustain our civilization is our consciousness and how we take care of our consciousness. So San Francisco Insight has been aspiring to be a welcoming place, a spiritual home to all the people who seek to manifest the values and principles of Buddha in their daily lives. And that's been our mission. Um, it's a place of our refuge to come completely as you are and we welcome anyone. So for us to continue another 30 years and do more, um, we would really appreciate your support uh, through Donna uh, for SFI. And thank you so much for uh, your support always. And one another announcement is we are offering a course, a mindfulness meditation for beginners. It's a full week introductory series um, that starts in January 11th. And uh, it's a, it's, it happens, we meet at once a week and it's gonna be taught by one of our board members, Nina, and one of the teachers, Sarah too. So I'll share the link in the, um, in the chat for you to sign up. It's gonna be a great course for you to understand the basis of the mindfulness meditation. Thank you so much. Do we have any other announcements, Nora? I don't believe so. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for that. I I was around at the beginning of San Francisco Insight when we were meeting in a small living room. Now we're all back in our living rooms. You think we'd make more progress over these years? Here we are. Well, I uh, 
I need to keep it simple tonight. Partly because my uh, stroke-injured brain is a bit overtaxed today. And also maybe because, uh, you know, these holiday seasons, no matter how we celebrate them, or even if we choose not to celebrate them, they can be kind of exhausting for us, I think. And uh, so I want to keep it simple tonight. And, 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 and my wish is that my simple words will be of some small service to you. And uh, we'll see if that happens. So uh, here we are at the beginning of another year. At least according to the Roman calendar, we're starting another year. So I thought uh, a good theme for tonight's talk and exploration would be simply begin again. You know, there's a, a quote often attributed to the Buddha that goes something like, no matter how hard the past, you can always begin again. Now, we actually have no evidence that the Buddha said this. <laughs> but Jack Kornfield did, I know that. And I know that uh, my friend Sharon Salzberg wrote it in one of her books. So even if the Buddha didn't say it, well, there's still some truth to it. And uh, maybe it's worthy of our exploration a little bit. So these two words, simple words, begin again. Well, for me in my life and practice, they've been, well, the single best meditation instruction, actually. Maybe the best instruction I've ever received, and I've, I've been good, I've had a good fortune to receive many instructions. Because for me, they, they really go to the heart of our practice, you know. Like I'm living in a new house, it's not quite furnished, so I'm sort of glamping, you know, I have a bed and a table and one chair, and that's more than most people in the world, but you know, when I woke up this morning in this new house, my eyes opened kind of instinctively. And there was this moment when the cessation, or the sensation rather, of, of sight came, right? And um, before any content about what was being seen was registering, there was just sight. You know, due to the strokes I've had in the last few years, the aggregate of perception, some of you know that I mean by that, the aggregate of perception, which is basically about sense experience and recognizing what's being seen. Well, for me, it's, it's sometimes delayed. But for many of us, even if we haven't had a stroke, um, it can be sort of delayed for us could take us a while to recognize what uh, what's actually happening. And, and not only that, but at least for me, the sense of self actually coalesces very slowly because of this, this injury to my brain. Um, but before all that happens, there's just this simple pleasure and appreciation of being alive. That's what instinctively happens when I open my eyes this morning. So in our practice, right, 
there's always this renewing that's occurring, this beginning again. <laughs> you know, we're always losing our mindfulness and our concentration. That's at the heart of, that's the nature of our practice, actually. You know, we, we begin with good intentions, right? To place our attention on the breath or on the body or some object of meditation. And then through some thought associations that occur without our invitation, our attention slides off. And then before you know it, we've hopped on this train of associated thoughts, right? And we're hoping that it's taking us to a really remarkable, beautiful place, but sometimes it's just taking us into a bad neighborhood. And what happens then, right? Our, we've learned, right? that we're momentarily lost in thought or some kind of experience. And so we pause. Pause is a chance to not be swept away by the momentum of habit. And um, maybe if, if you do that kind of practice, you, you, you label, you know, you return with intention to the practice of being awake, to being with what's occurring as it's occurring. We begin again. And it's not just on the cushion or when we're meditating, you know, it happens all the time in our, our daily life, you know, and if you're like me, you lose your ground countless times during the course of a day. I do. But with some commitment to practice, we just keep beginning again and again and again and again. And sometimes we get frustrated that meditation or life for that matter isn't coming easily. We feel like a failure or that we lack some personal or essential ability to stay focused. And we take it all very personally. But isn't the wandering and the learning to notice without judgment, hopefully coming back, beginning again, isn't that the story not only of our practice, our mindfulness practice, but also of our life? Being in small ways is happening all the time. happens in relationships, just for me. When relationships are this constant practice, right, of noticing when we've drifted apart, you know, and, and turning back toward each other and starting again, opening ourselves in a new way. Because without beginning again, we, we just keep drifting apart, too far apart to come back. We always have the option to come back, to commit in a new, in a new way. Like yesterday, I, I was talking to this young couple that are getting married and they were trying to write their wedding vows, you know, and, and, you know, they went away to a beautiful place and 
the woman in this couple, she did this dumping of all the things that she wanted her vows to include. And, and before she'd really sorted or sifted through it or not, she, she shared it with her soon-to-be husband, and, and he got totally overwhelmed. And, um, and he was a kind of traditional guy. And he wanted to know, well, what exactly are you promising here? And they got into a big argument, <laughs> you know, as they were trying to lovingly prepare their vows. And anyway, I, I started to talk to them about vows, which, at least in my mind, feel a little different than promises. You know, when you make a promise and you break it, what happens? Are you broken your promise, right? It's you're full of regret. But vows feel different to me. Uh, vows are kind of like, I don't know, like an orientation, like, like a North Star, something we guides us. Like every morning, I, I recite the four Bodhisattva vows, and one of those is save all beings. Well, how the hell am I going to do that, save all beings? I'm going to fail at that every single day. But every day I make the vow, and every day I come back. Now, if I promised I would do it today, I, I failed horribly. And I might feel very dejected, but I vow. And the vow, I come back to the vow again and again and again. Yeah. Look, the mind wanders. Don't make a big deal over it. Just come back. I mean, Einstein, you know, he said really beautifully one time that no problem can be solved at the same level of consciousness that created it. So individually and collectively, we have to begin again and again. And not just in the same old way. Maybe we, we do the same method, the same mechanics, you know, we, we notice that we're wandering. And we remember that no matter how sticky or grabby or attractive the stream of those associated thoughts are, we can let go. Now, I haven't stopped my mind from wandering. I've been at this for a long time. I haven't stopped my mind from wandering. But over the years, through the practice, through the practice of repetition, I've learned to let go more gently to resource myself by recalling that I can always begin again. We can let go gently without getting down on ourselves. And I don't know, maybe it's so for you. For me, it's, it's that gradually, gradually, I become a little less reactive. I get a little less stuck in my emotional ruts and the unhelpful patterns of my thinking. And my children said, the mind is wild. And I agree. And this human experience of ours, it's, it's full of unpredictability and paradox and joys and sorrows and success and failures and all that stuff. And we can't escape the experience. 
We just can't. Not in the vast terrain of our experience. When I was a kid, I used to like to watch westerns. And there was always some scene in some, almost every western scene where there, you know, some stagecoach was riding down a dirt road, you know, wildly being driven down this road while some bad guys were chasing after them, you know, and every rock and hole in the road, you know, was bouncing the people on the stage up and down. My, my life is like that. But unfettered awareness, you know, it's open and it's easeful and it's, it's non-judgmental and it's non-evaluative. And for me, at least, an aware mind, it, it, it's characterized by two things. First, the quality of spaciousness, of openness, yeah? And that openness is infused with a, an interest, a deep interest to know, or, or we could just say a curiosity. So we begin again, again and again. In this moment, which is completely characterized by uncertainty. I mean, we have no idea how 2022 is gonna turn out, you know, or, or what will happen with this virus that's changed all of our lives. Wonderful writer, Carol Heinemann, and, and she said something beautiful, which I've always loved. She said, if we can let go into uncertainty, the trust that our basic nature and that of the world are not different, and the fact that things are not solid and fixed, well, this becomes a liberating opportunity rather than a threat. You know, whenever we say the Buddha taught, I, I always, I'm always, I always question that, you know, or the Buddha said, I, I wasn't around when the Buddha was here, you know, so it's just my understanding of what the Buddha said. And I'm told, we're told that his, you know, last words were something like, you know, coming together inevitably means parting. Don't be troubled. This is the nature of life. Our lives aren't solid and fixed. This is what helps us, I think, to prepare for death and loss. And it helps us to know how to live our lives fully. That's what being with dying people showed me, how to live my life more fully. Impermanence isn't the cause of our suffering. We rely on it. We rely on constant change. I mean, impermanence is the kind of doorway to possibility. It's where real freedom lies. And I was talking to this young couple. They said, well, what, we sh what should we do? You know, we've, we want to be together for our whole lives, but what should we do? Should we hope for the best or expect the worst? <laughs> and I said, suppose we just... Stop choosing sides. And, and somehow, 
little by little we we developed some mental clarity and some emotional stability and we embodied presence so that we weren't so swept away by the ups and downs my hopes and fears maybe we could be a little more fluid and trusting and adaptable and responsive One of my favorite um, expressions in Italian is così come, and it actually means as is, as is, as things are. Not really good or bad, but workable. Not just our past, not just this last year. We're becoming. We can release grudges and we can forgive and we can free ourselves of resentment and regret long before we die. You know, our practice, our Buddhist practice, it, it helps us to appreciate that there is preconditioning, but it's not all predetermined. Our practice shows us we have choice. In fact, the whole of the practice is built on that choice. And we've been given a wise path to walk and we can choose it. We begin again and again in this moment. And I always wonder, where is this moment, you know, this present moment we're always talking about, you know, where is it to be found? Is it just some little nanosecond between the last breath and this breath, last moment and this moment? I don't think it's in time or out of time. That's what St. Augustine said. It isn't measured in tick-tock time or by Roman calendars. There's no timeline. At least not the way we usually think about it. I mean, we've all experienced this, right? I mean, it's not just you came on time for tonight's sit. We've all experienced some kind of timelessness, you know, when, when this moment expands like a dream into boundless time. I mean, when I'm remembering my mother, who died more than 50 years ago, isn't the past happening now? Doesn't the past, present moment rather include the past and also the potency of the, of the future? You know, when my granddaughter was an infant, she wasn't consciously shaping her future, but there the potential was living in her, just like it lives in each of us. And I think this is where the energy of hope has a place. Not like a wish to be fulfilled or a plan to be formulated and, and finally executed, but how we meet this ever-changing moment. A present moment that includes all time.
I have a friend of mine who was dying of Parkinson's disease a while back. And he said at first his body's deterioration was incredibly frustrating for him and it frightened him. And he noticed how often he would relate to his body from a wish that it would be another way. He said, if only I could slow the progress of this disease, you know. And of course, every time he thought that way, it would get worse. And he would worry. Waiting for the circumstances to change for some different future to be happening, he would mostly be in his head and, and riddled with anxiety, dread. Unfortunately, David was a avid meditator and over time he kind of shifted his, his mindset and he'd, he'd quiet down and he'd experienced this timelessness I was just talking about. And he told me that when this would happen, this constant desire to have things be another way, this desire that was blinding him, it would relax. And he could feel more gratitude for the people that were caring for him or he could trust in his ability to, to meet the challenges that were coming his way. And he said, when I was in my ordinary mind, having the hope that I was going to be able to change my illness, that object was just fear. And I was only setting myself up for disappointment. And I'd get lost all the time. And this scary thought. He said, but then I realized I'm aware of the thought that's accompanying the fear. And that means the fear is not all there is. Awareness is present too. And as soon as he had that recognition, he said he had a choice, a choice to function from the fear or a choice to function from the awareness. He told me it reminded him of when we saw the earth from the moon for the first time. And we began to understand things that weren't possible before. You know, when we are so full of hope and expectation. It clouds our judgment sometimes. We can't see the whole picture. We're so fixed on what we want, what we think should be here. David's mind would relax. He said it wasn't like a vacant lot or anything. It just was open. And it had a kind of inherent dynamism in a minute. And David was describing something which I call non-waiting. <laughs> and it's kind of an antidote to the trap of, of expectation. And it's a kind of open and, and receptive quality of mind, non-waiting. It's relaxed and it's open and it's spacious and it's allowing experience to come toward us without needing to reach out and grab it. 
and for me, it's like I come to know things through a kind of revelation. That's a big word, I know, but it, it means that I'm not wrestling the meaning out of it. I'm not manipulating it to be a certain way. It's just showing itself. So non-waiting is this quiet welcoming. It's more of an invitation than a demand. And, and I think that's a good attitude in our practice. It's a new vantage point to look from. You know, it's, it's like Google Maps, right? In one moment, you have this very little, tiny, narrow view of a particular street and the house on the street, the address of that house. And then we pull back, you know, and as we pull back, we, we get more panoramic perspective and we see the house, but we also see the street and we see the city it's in and then we see the country it's in and then we see the hemisphere it's in. We get a bigger picture, more options. So this non-waiting, it's not patience exactly. Patience implies expectation. It's just expecting in a calmer way. Non-waiting is it's more like continuous contact with reality. Whatever the experience is, good or bad, or whether we like it or don't like it, we give our full attention to it, to what's happening as it's happening, to see what it can reveal. So two meditation instructions to close. One, begin again. I mean, really, no matter what happens, just begin again. All the time when you're sitting, not just once, begin again maybe hundreds of times in a particular sitting period. And if you get stuck, ask yourself the question, what else is here? What else is here? Maybe it's another part of the experience or you haven't seen yet, or maybe it's that awareness is present. What does that make possible? So just ask the question, what else is here? Begin again. And what else is here? Okay, I, I'm going to stop yakking now. And I want to just have a bit of a dialogue with you and, and see what's on your hearts and minds. And, and what's it like to begin again, you know, as we as we enter this new year. And even as you think about the possibility of beginning again, what happens it comes up in your heart and mind? So you know how to do this. You know how to raise your hand electronically or digitally or however you want to say it, or just wave wildly at us. And maybe we'll try and um, call on you and I'll, I'll try and have a little bit of a dialogue with you. I, I'd like to talk to you. So what's in your hearts and minds as you even reflect on this begin again? Thank you so much, Frank. I see a hand of uh, Amy followed by Happy. Amy, please okay. go ahead. Amy, okay. Hello. Happy New Year. Hi. I, uh, this concept of non-waiting. Yeah. Oh, it was so timely for me. I, I, especially in the silence, the most quiet time on the cushion, but I'm also 
sure I do this in life, have a point beyond which I won't go. Mm-hmm. A refusal, a, a pushing back. And it feels like a point which is at the edge of everything I know about myself, of, you know, yeah, the ego person. And I've tried to stay in front of that resistance mindfully, without judgment, just seeing. Um, but something is not opening for me. Yeah, okay. So, so you know, look, Amy, you know this. I'm just going to remind you of what you already know, okay? So first of all, check and see what's the attitude of mind. You know, really look and just see. You know, it's like, it's like when you walk into a great ballroom, right, in a hotel somewhere, you know, you, you see the tables and chairs that are all lined up there, but rarely do we see the space in the ballroom, you know, we just see all the stuff that's in it. So when you're looking, when you're looking and you, and you have all that going on, you know, ask what else is here, see if there's any space here, what's the attitude of mind that's appearing, first of all, and then is there any space? And maybe just relax, you know, don't try and do anything. I mean, and if you can't relax, just remind yourself, don't do anything now. Don't do anything, you know? And, and it just is a kind reminder, actually. And so, so you don't get in a, it sounds like there's an attitude of mind there where you get into a kind of struggle, you know? The refusal is an attitude of mind, right? It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't know what that's, oh, I don't know what's over there, and I'm not going there. It's always like that. It's always uncertain. We don't know. We just make it up like we know. We don't know what's over there. Come on. No, of course not. It's filled with paradox and uncertainty. That's part of what makes it exciting and also terrifying. Yes, terrifying. I feel that. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, terrifying. You said yes, scary. terrifying. You jumped immediately to terrifying. What about exciting? You jumped right over that. When is it exciting, Amy? It's all of myself in one place. And yeah, why isn't it exciting? I mean, since childhood, I've known there's a world more vibrant than the one I live in. Yeah. I've longed for it all my life. And now I've seen enough of my ego that, oh, there's a door, there's a doorway there. Yeah, and I'm just uh, like a cat, you know, on either side of the doorway, not <laughs> going through it. Right. So, so you know, what I, I said in the talk, I talked about Einstein reference, you know, that reference to him that, you know, we, we can't resolve this issue with the same mind that created it. So you're not going to dump your ego. It's, you're not just going to leave it on the side of the road somewhere. Who's going to do that? Who needs to do that? But you can ask what else is here in addition to that. And so if I ask you right now, like just you and I talking, what else is here? Not what content is in your mind, but can you feel any kind of openness at all? My breath is here. Okay, great. What else? Hope. Hope. What did you say? Hope. Hope. Hope, like for something? 
hope. Yeah. So what happens if you give up hope for a minute? You don't wait for something to get better. Non-waiting. Non-waiting. Not waiting for something to get better. So just non-waiting. What's that like? Just for a second. I don't know. Okay, great. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, so how's that? Is that exciting to not know for a minute? Yeah. All your life you've been told to know everything, huh? Oof. Yeah. Isn't it a relief to not know? I don't know. I don't know that either. Okay. <laughs> All right. That may be your answer. That may be a continuous answer for a while. It's fine. Don't turn away. You know, don't drop that really good answer because you think there's a better one out there. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. Next. Okay, who's next? Yeah, next is Happy. Happy? Oh. Let's see. Hi, Frank. Oh, I don't see you, Happy, but I can hear you. Yes, I'm not turning on the video because uh, I'm... It's uh, okay. It's okay. Tell me what's on your heart and mind. Yeah, I think today's topic is very timely for me because um, I just had a concussion a few days ago. So oh. I think a lot of things that you share, I just really resonate. I feel like uh, one is like the unpredictability that you talked about. I just feel like, oh my God, life is so unpredictable. I have no guess on what's going to happen. And I've been feeling a lot of like dizziness and headache. And I uh -huh. think I've been trying to meditate to like be with it. But I also notice that there's a lot of grieving of like oh my god i lost my usual health yeah, yeah. and well-being and yeah. i think the part that i feel the most challenged by is what you share early i think what you work with amy on as well is like um the resistant attitude because i yeah. noticed like i'm like oh my god i hate feeling dizzy and I noticed that I would start to really have a lot of anxiety and fear of like oh my god when it's dizziness mm -hmm. gonna go away I would have hope that oh one day I'll get back to my usual health okay so pause right there happy okay because okay. otherwise you know the mind will just keep you know spinning out all the hopes and fears right so just so you see the predicament right one is I want it to be other than it is. I want okay. back what I, I want what I had back. Yeah. And this sucks. I don't want this. Right? That's that's basically what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't know how to change it to be like the welcoming attitude. Okay. I'm just like, so, this sucks. Well, Why would I welcome it? All right. So slow down, slow down. Okay. Don't try and change it into anything. You don't have to, you don't have to make it, you don't have to do anything with it. Okay. I mean, like I had five strokes really bad ones right mm -hmm. and, and the doctors kept talking to me about recovery and all of my mindfulness friends you know all the 
big cheeses in the mindfulness community called me and told me, oh, neuroplasticity is going to save your butt, you know? And, and I wasn't so interested, honestly. You were what? Can I was you not the so last interested. Part? I wasn't so you interested. You were not interested. No, I wasn't so interested in recovery. Oh, okay. I was interested in discovery. Discovery. Okay. I was interested in discovering. Okay, so now it's like this. What can I learn? What can I what can I discover? So it brings forward a kind of certain kind of curiosity. And I don't know about you, Happy, but curiosity for me is very joyful. You know, like like when you when you see little kids play, they don't play for a purpose. They just play. Mm. Right? They're not trying to, they're not playing to get somewhere. They're just curious. They just play. So mm. suppose it was like that, Happy. Suppose when you sat down on your cushion, it was just like that. I'm going to play for a while. I'm not going to try and create anything. I'm not going to make sure I welcome anything. I'm just going to play. I'm just going to be curious about what's here and see what shows up. And one of my teachers says, love is the fuel for the journey, right? That's what we need. But I think joy is the spark that ignites that fuel. And one way that I know that joy is playfulness. Mm. A sense of playfulness, not purposefulness, not, you know, like my, my, my son, he had a kindergarten teacher when he was really young, and she used to walk backwards to school every day. Down the sidewalk, she walked backwards. Mm. Because when she wanted to, when she got to the preschool, she wanted to be in a state of mind that was similar to the four and five year olds that she was working with. Mm. So be playful, happy. Don't set up any agendas. Just be playful. I think that's also where my resistance is. Like, I guess like it goes back to like, this is so much suffering. How, why would I be curious or like playful around this suffering? Wrong question. Okay. Because you're still trying to get rid of the suffering. You're asking, why would I do that? And what did to get rid of the suffering? You see? That's what's happening. That's the intention there. It isn't like, huh, what's this about? I like to see this. Wow, look at the way I suffer. It's not, it doesn't have that kind of quality of mind to it. It has the quality of mind like, I got to figure this out. So then I won't have that problem anymore. Yeah. Right. That's suffering. The, the thinking that you're going to figure it out. I'm going to whip this in some way. That's what Einstein was talking about. I got myself into this hole and I think I'm going to think myself out the same way I got in here. Uh-uh. We need a new way. And the way I'm suggesting to you, particularly happy, is be playful. When you sit down to meditate, don't make such a big deal about it. My teacher used to say to me, when you sit, imagine you're sitting on someone else's stomach. That's what he said to me. Imagine you're sitting on someone else's stomach. He said, don't sit too heavy. Okay. Mm. Okay. So basically being curious, having any kind of curiosity. Of yeah, don't make that a project. <laughs> okay? Uh, okay. Careful, happy that you make it a project that we, then we start, what happens is we, then we take the meditation and we appropriate it for the desires of our personality. And then we're not meditating anymore. We're just fulfilling our, we're trying to fulfill our wishes. And we appropriate the meditation to get what we want. 
and we think, oh, this is a good tool, I can use this. You know, then meditation becomes like cupcakes. We're just trying to get what we want. Oh, yeah, I noticed I do that. I'm like, oh, I want to be peaceful, so I need to meditate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. You don't have to, mm. you know, awareness doesn't need you to be any way in particular. Mm. So awareness is infused with curiosity. That's, that's a wise and spacious mind, infused with curiosity. Okay. So okay. be playful. Have fun. Mm -hmm. Walk down the street backwards sometimes. <laughs> okay? Live yeah. up to your name. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Take good care. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Frank. The next uh, hands up is Eileen. Eileen, hi. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, I just wanted to thank you because um, I have been the recipient of your teachings so many years and I was lucky enough to be in your last Zen hospice training like I don't know 20 years ago or something oh, where God, who knows you walked around as death and took things away from us and uh <laughs> created a lot of suffering for for all of us and in the education and um and I'm also in um Roshi Jones socially engaged Buddhist program so oh feeding your teachings through that and um you know i've been a nurse for 30 years many of them in the icu and very aware of the lack of awareness in our culture on death and dying yeah uh let's just put, bury our heads in the sand even in covid and after so many years i'm finally um creating a course that's starting next month um, for okay, now go to essence now. Go to essence. Say what you, what's really important for you to say, I mean. Yeah, this is like soul work. Uh -huh. It's about really getting real and talking about it and making it comfortable for people. And uh, I really appreciate you. So what's moving you about that when you say that? Forget about the story. Just tell me what's happening for you right now as you're speaking. I mean, I, I love what you're doing, and that's great. But what's happening as you're speaking? What's moving you as you're speaking? Let's not run over that. It's um, it's like getting real, getting real, and being present to the impermanence. So, so the what's moving you now is the feeling of being real. Yeah, like the okay. like getting lit up about. You know, there's something about being with people when they're when they're dying. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not any more important than working in your garden, Eileen. <clears throat> Sometimes it, it helps us to pay attention more. And know. yes, there is a kind of intimacy to it. I agree. But what I'm curious about now is not what happens then when you're with dying people, but what's happening now as you're reflecting on it. But here we are right now, here and now that, you know, yeah. you're not in the course, <clears throat> excuse me, what's something's really lighting you up. And it isn't just about what you're going to do. It's happening, right? Something's lighting you up right now. It's, it's just holding that awareness of the impermanence and um, being of service to normalizing 
the conversation around death and dying. Great, great. But the, the, and it's beautiful that you're going to do that, Eileen. And I, I really applaud you and thank you for doing that. And I'm going to put that aside for now, the course and what you're going to do. And I'm just going to say the impermanence got you excited? Yeah. Living in impermanence, speaking about impermanence, being with other people in impermanence got you excited? It does. Wow. As, as knocked up as that is. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool if you ask me. Pretty cool, yeah. Well, because it's real. As you said, it's real. It's the truth of what's going on. Let's not make it the enemy. No, it's not the enemy. Right. No. I mean, we, we rely on it, don't we? I mean, you know, that cold you have today, it's not going to last forever, right? That really boring virtual dinner party you were supposed to go to, you know, it's going to come to an end, right? So we rely on impermanence. It's our, you know, if it wasn't here, life wouldn't be possible. So it gives us this great sense of possibility. That's part of what lights us up. It's not weird. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, I used, when I was first studying practice, I would, I used impermanence like a club. I would, you know, in my relationships, I'd say, no, I, I can't really get committed here because, you know, everything is impermanent. Oh, crap. Excuse me, but that's the very reason to get committed because everything's impermanent. It's not, the, it's not the thing that keeps us out of it. It's the thing that makes us, it's the precariousness of life that helps us appreciate its preciousness. That's what lights us up. Yeah. Yeah. Can you feel it? What's it feel like to be lit up? Go ahead, one more thing. What, just tell me what it's like. It's, it's like exuberance. Okay, yeah. good. All right, now, now let that exuberance come down into your belly a little more. Like it's probably coming up into your chest, so come up down to your belly. Now, what's the exuberance like? Keep feeling it. Yeah, it's very full. Very full. Okay, what else? Anything else? It's grounded. It's grounded. Ah, now that's interesting. You know, the, the Brahma Viharas that you always hear about, you know, one of them is appreciative joy. And one of the near enemies, or one of the things that masquerades as appreciative joy is exuberance. It's like bubbles in a champagne bottle or a you know can of Coke. It's it's really it's it's kind of fun, but it's not very um, steadfast. It's really hard for it to last over time. So we need a kind of steadiness to that exuberance. And equanimity is what gives that um, appreciative joy or that joy its steadfastness. So it can work over time we can have it over time yeah so that's when you come down into the belly you you come out down into that you 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 call up that equanimity really that's what's happening yeah beautiful wow good for you and thank you for what you're about to do i mean that's wonderful that you do that and you use your experience and and um and try not to teach anything okay mm. <laughs> Try not to be the teacher too much. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just jump in with others and, and live together in what's real. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. You're welcome. Nice to see you. You too. Okay. Who's next? Yes. The next hand is up, uh, by Heather. Heather. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't see the hand. So I'm, uh, she's going to. 
Nuru's going to call on you. So Heather, go ahead. Okay. Hi, Frank. It's so uh, great to be in your presence. I've Thank heard you, you uh, teach at, the, at this sangha many times. Uh -huh. And I'm remembering um, right after Eugene's accident, I think it was the very Sunday, like maybe yeah. the day after his accident, you came to the sangha yeah. and you um, told us what was happening. And I'm forever grateful for that. Mm. I'll never forget that night. Um, and your teaching tonight reminded me of um, something Eugene said, you know, years later in teaching um, after his accident, he said, you know, when he was recovering, he was still, you know, didn't know which way it was going to go. And his doctors kept saying, you're going to get better. Things are going to get better. And he said, or at least the way I'm remembering the teacher, he said that his response to that in his mind, I don't know if he shared it, was I wasn't interested in getting better or what was going to happen down the road. I wanted to know what was happening right now. That's yeah. what I was interested in. Yeah. Um, but so for me, I wasn't going to um, ask a question or say anything, but Eileen actually um, sparked me forward, I think, because I'm so grateful for what she's doing um, and what she's done. In the to go to the heart of the matter now, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. So um, for me, I recently, just this weekend, listened to Tanisara in conversation with um, Andrew Harvey. There's a, they, she put out a video. Yeah. Um, and it really, it, it really scared me and let me up. And it was, you know, Andrew Harvey calls what's happening the apocalypse, like what's happening in climate change. Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's this um, sense in the, in the, in the conversation about what's the point of us sitting here, you know, and what's the point of spiritual practice? Or what's the point of taking bodhisattva vows if we're not out there actively doing something about what's happening? In the uh -huh. So that and, was a question that arose for you. Yeah. Well, that uh -huh. was what the conversation was about. Okay. And but what was the what was the impact on you? What did you what did you come up with? Uh, Without saying any more about what they said or did, I want to know what you. Yeah, I mean, it you. just really resonated with me. Like, yeah, like what are we doing? What am I doing? Like. It, What'd you decide? How'd you answer that? I think that the answer is I need to do something, but it's so overwhelming. I think that the feeling is so overwhelming. Yeah. And it's like, well, what as a person without money or power, like, what can I do? Oh. Right. And I know there are lots of answers out there. Like there are ways of being community around it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's just something that's really up for me at the moment and really um, scaring me. But moving me as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know what you can do or should do, but here's what I think is what I see is true. First of all, you know, there are people right now, those, those of us sitting here tonight, um, people who are in, you know, Dharma centers around the world, people who are sitting alone in caves that I'm quite certain are somehow keeping the earth on its axis. <laughs> You know, keeping it from spinning out into space. I don't know, you know, maybe that's a metaphor, but I, I think that don't underestimate the power of that. Just like when we're sitting at the bedside with someone who's dying, don't underestimate the power of simple human presence. You know, it, it sometimes has a lot more value than we imagine, you know, or that 
then you know, we think we should be doing something. We should use our expertise, for example. But often, simple human presence is quite enough. So that's the first thing. And then um, today, I was um, I got a text from a friend of mine in Costa Rica, and uh, I'm supposed to go there to teach. I don't know soon, but. Uh, he was talking about the beauty of Costa Rica and all this. And I said, do you know that Costa Rica had decimated had decimated 60% of its forests? Completely decimated. I mean, they cut them all down. And in, in, a, in a very short period of, period of time, I think it's something like 60 years, they've reclaimed 60% of the forest. That's pretty amazing. I mean, no one thought that was possible. And it, it started by a guy father of a woman I know, Christina, Christina Figueres, her father became president of Costa Rica. And he, this is what he did. He, dis, he, he took 700 men and, and women, I think, but mostly men. And he defeated um, some rebels. And then he defeated the government army that was there at the time. And he, and he came into power as the president of Costa Rica. This, this guy, he was a planter. He became the president of Costa Rica and he disbanded the military and he reinvested in, um, in services that would, in things that would service the people. And they outlawed cutting down trees. That was amazing. That was one man, one person doing this. That's phenomenal. And he wasn't, he wasn't born of royalty. He wasn't anyone special. He just did it. So sometimes ordinary people like you and I, we get to do amazing things. That happens. And we don't always have to do amazing things. Sometimes simple human presence is sufficient. Questioning, when we live, when we practice, we orient ourselves toward living with integrity. That's what you're doing. Don't underestimate that. Think of how it might, um, first of all, guide your life toward clearer and good decisions, wise decisions, and also how it might inspire others to make clear and wise decisions. Yes, I vow every morning to save all beings. And each day it has a slightly different um, manifestation. Thank you. And, and yours and mine can be completely different. And thank God that the thank Buddha that they are. Yeah. We need all these manifestations. Right. I'm going to close here in just a second. but. I have a dear friend um, who died a few years back, Bernie Glassman, you know, of Bernie Glassman, a wonderful uh, Zen teacher, wild and crazy fellow. And um, he was teaching in Germany and he was talking about boundless compassion, you know, and he was talking about Avalokiteshvara, the great, you know, Bodhisattva of compassion has a thousand arms, you know, the image, right? And this, uh, he was you know, going on about this. And this man raised his hand in the back of the room and he said, uh, can I ask a question? Bernie said, of course. And he said, it's a very beautiful image you have of, of, um, of this, this being with a thousand arms. And he said, but I only have two arms. What should I do? And uh, I wasn't there, but friend was. And he said, Bernie did the simplest thing. He said, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. And the man said, no, I'm sure I only have these two arms. That's all I have. And he said, no. And then 
He asked the entire room, of which there were 500 people in the room, all to raise their arms. Everybody on this call, go ahead, do it now. Even if you can't see everybody on the screen, everybody raised their two arms. There you go. A thousand arms. You see, we are Avalokiteshvara. It's not someone's not going to come riding in on a white horse to save the planet. We are Avalokiteshvara. This is how compassion manifests in the world through us, in the myriad of ways that we express it. And some of us, like Christiana's father, will become the president of Costa Rica and change the course of history in his country. And others of us will do it in different ways. We are Avalokiteshvara. Do you understand? Do you understand? Are you asking me? Yes. Yeah. I do. Thank you. Can you feel that in you? Um, Can you feel you are just... It's, it's like overwhelming. To, I mean, it's really... That's, yeah. Feel the heart of it. It's yeah. okay. Let it break your heart. Let it make you cry. Yeah. To see that you are not in this alone and that the world can't do it without you. You are not in it alone, and the world cannot do it without you. We need each other. Begin again. <laughs> Just begin again. With that understanding, begin again. And let it inform what you choose to do, how you choose to be in the world. No one's coming on a white horse. We are Avalokiteshvara. We are the thousand arms. Okay. Okay. That's enough for tonight. Thank you all very much for your practice. That's an incredibly beautiful contribution you make to yourself and to the world. Breathing in. You know you have something to receive breathing out. You know you have something to give. We have all received and we all have something to give. Thank you for supporting SFI and my dear friend Eugene. You are so fortunate to have him as a guiding teacher. You know, I was with Eugene when he, somebody mentioned this earlier. I was with Eugene when he had his. Um, bike accident and the doctor he was coming into sort of consciousness you know and he was in and out and, and the doctor said he said uh, you know do you know what time it is he was testing his cognitive capacity and Eugene said yes oh what time is it he said and Eugene said now now you're fortunate to have him and I'm ever grateful that he is my friend and that we get to share the Dharma together. Thank you all very, very much. I hope that it has been of some small support to you, our exploration tonight. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you everyone for your contribution. Happy New Year, everyone. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Frank.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can unmute yourself and save it. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thousand thank arms. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.